brothers and sisters, I would ask that you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as this morning we will be looking at chapter 10 and verses 32 to 34. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Brothers and sisters, please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve of again, He began to tell them what was to happen to Him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Now, something that is important is oftentimes repeated, isn't it? As husbands, if we tell our wives we're, we're running to the store real quick to pick something up, our wives might say, well, honey, as you go, can you, can you please grab something for me? Let's say a, a sack of potatoes. But knowing how forgiveful we are, even though we promise to do that, as we walk out the door, they, they'll remind us, right? They'll say, honey, don't forget that sack of potatoes. So that we will not forget what we have promised to bring home. For things more important, they are often more times or, or more frequently repeated, are they not? Alright, think about this if you have a, maybe a teenage driver at home. Before they go off to drive on their own, what happens? You say, make sure you buckle up. Right, watch out for the crazies on the road. Maintain the speed limit. Uh, watch, you know, look before you turn right or left. And we tell this to them, we re- repeat it over and over and over again. Why? Because of the seriousness of it, right? This, this could change their life if they neglect to do these things. And so we repeat it to them over and over again. We tell them time after time as it reflects the seriousness of the situation. It reflects our level of concern for the matter. Now this is what we see today in our text. right In verses 32 to 34, Jesus is now repeating for the third time to the apostles what it is that must happen to Him. And what is that? Right? Jesus says the, the Son of Man is to be delivered up. He is to be condemned to death. He is to be killed and then rise again. Brothers and sisters, do we see why this message is repeated so often to the apostles? It was because of the importance and the seriousness of the message. It was because this was the message that was to go forth to the ends of the world that was going to start from the mouths of these men. Right? This was the message that the church was founded upon. Right? That was declared so that men and women would believe and be saved. Right? This message was so vitally important. 
Right? It was so important that the apostles got it right that it was engraved upon their minds so that when it was fulfilled, when Jesus Christ arose and revealed Himself to them, they now could understand exactly what it was that He meant. They knew now why He repeated it time and time and time again once He revealed Himself again. And we see this. We, we come to see this in the Scriptures. That they understand the significance of this. It becomes obvious to us in the, in the book of Acts. Right? Because this is the same message that they are now relaying to the Jews and the Gentiles. Right? This is what Peter says at his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite and foreknowledge plan of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised Him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. In verse 32, Peter goes on to say, this Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses to in verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here we see Peter right, repeat the same message that Christ kept repeating to him. Right? And now he was bringing that message of the deliverance that Jesus had to suffer. right, The betrayal. The condemnation. The, the death. The resurrection. He, he is now delivering this message to all. This is the message Peter is proclaiming and now calling Israel to repentance over. This is the same message that the Apostle Paul then preaches. In Acts chapter 26, before King Agrippa, in verses 22 and 23, Paul says this, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both the small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light to all people, both Jew and Gentile alike. You see, Jesus repeats this message today three times over because this is the message that He was going to use to draw God's people to His Savior. This was a message to draw all of God's elect unto the Savior. And the apostles then were not only witnesses to the death and to the resurrection of Christ, but as we see here in the Gospels, they are witnesses to the declaration of what was going to take place even before it ever happened. This then served, as we'll see later, to embolden and encourage the apostles in proclaiming the Gospel. But this, though, is why Jesus would allow nothing to stand in His way because it was on the basis of this message which had to come to pass that He was going to save His people. Right? If there was no delivering up, if there was no condemnation, if there was no death, if there was no resurrection, there would be no Christianity. There would be no hope for us for salvation and the resurrection. 
Right? This had to take place. And this is why we are told at the very outset of our text this morning that as they were walking to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. That's important. Jesus was walking ahead of them. It was because this is what He came for. As it was this violent death and His subsequent resurrection that Christ was destined to experience so that we might experience that which we are destined to experience, which is the glorious and salvific benefits that come from and through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so today we are going to look at Jesus, or Jesus' destiny as Savior, which He describes for us in our text. And we're going to look at this in three main points this morning. So the first point is this. Jesus was destined to be an offering. Jesus was destined to be an offering. Point number two. Jesus was destined to suffer. Jesus was destined to suffer. And point number three. Jesus was destined to rise again. Jesus was destined to rise again. So offering, suffer, rise again. Now, point one, Jesus was destined to be an offering. Now, in order for us to understand the significance of this point, we have to first understand a little bit of the the background of it. Many of you, I'm sure, recall in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 41, we're told that Jesus' parents every year went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Passover. Right? They, with many other Jews, right, made that pilgrimage every year Because Jerusalem was the central point where they celebrated the Passover because this is where the temple was. And so as many people as could go made that pilgrimage year after year after year. And when they came, they brought an offering with them. Okay. Now what we then see in our text with this in mind is that Jesus and the apostles now are making that very same pilgrimage. They are making that pilgrimage in order to be there by Pentecost. Yet now, the offering that Jesus is bringing is Himself. Jesus is bringing the sacrifice who is Him. Right? He was to be the Lamb slaughtered. He was to make atonement for the sins of the people once and for all. Right? This was what was so astonishing about what was taking place. Jesus clearly understood what was going to happen. There is no denying it, right? He repeats it three times over. That in Jerusalem, He was to be murdered. And yet, now He begins on His final trek and He does not stop or stall. He does not stall at all. I want you to think about this. Think about those those things in our life right, that we are scared of, that we know that we're probably going to have to endure some suffering when we do them. Right? Think about if you have to go under the knife maybe, a, a medical procedure, some sort of surgery, right? some great pain that you don't want to endure. Maybe you've got to get all your, your wisdom teeth pulled. Right? People hate that when, that when they have to do that, right? What is it that we do when that happens? What is it that we do? Right? We, we push our appointment to as far back as we can get it, don't we? 
Or when it approaches, we call and see if we can reschedule it for later. Or oftentimes, many people are willing to, to deal with whatever pain it is they're suffering, rather to endure greater pain, don't they? Right? We stall, don't we? But what we see here is Jesus does not. Jesus does not say, let's wait a little longer. Jesus does not say, is there another road? Right? Is there another path to Jerusalem that can take a little bit longer? That will, that will make us a little bit slower? Right? Jesus is not here dragging his feet. He's not in the back of the path, right? Walking slowly as the apostles are leading him on. But rather, it is Jesus himself who knows what his destiny is, knows he is going to be killed, and he is the one who is leading the charge. What Jesus then in leading His apostles to Jerusalem is showing us is His resoluteness right, to do those things which He was destined to accomplish. As Jesus walked to the cross obediently, He walked to the cross willingly. He went voluntarily to the cross to, to be that offering for sin. And it was because of this that we are told then in verse 32, that they who were with Him were amazed and yet also afraid. Right? The apostles, they seen the determination of Jesus to do the will of God. They knew what road they were on. They knew what they were heading towards. They have now heard it for the third time. And yet, Jesus does not flinch at all. But like the Good Shepherd, He leads His people to both His and their own purpose. Right? They were amazed that He who held His own destiny in His hands right, didn't hesitate to lay down His life, but was ready and willing to give it up for them. They were also, I think, afraid, we are told, not only for Christ, not only for what Christ was to suffer, right, but they were probably also afraid for what was going to happen to them, weren't they? And yet, what do we see this time? Right? The sheep, although afraid, continue to follow the Good Shepherd. This is unlike the times before, isn't it? Remember the first time Jesus tells them of this. Peter rebukes Jesus. The second time Jesus tells them, they don't even listen. They're instead arguing about who is the greatest among them. This time when Jesus tells them, they listen and they follow His lead. But this is what Jesus says would come to pass. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, we read this. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls His own sheep by name and He leads them out. When He has brought all, all of His own, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him for they know His voice. Here the Good Shepherd we see in our text today is going before the saints. He is leading them to Jerusalem and they are following the Good Shepherd so that the Good Shepherd can do what it is the Good Shepherd is meant to do. Which John tells us. Later, in chapter 10, verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd has come to lay down His life for the sheep. 
And Jesus must do this because redemption can only come through the shed blood of Christ. We see those yearly sacrifices that were offered for the Jewish people could not atone for the sins of the people. It could not clear their conscience. Right? All they did was cleanse them outwardly. It cleansed them externally. But this is why they need to make, to make atonement year after year and after year. And so Christ came to be that once and for all offering to put away sin by Himself. And just as Jesus has declared it time and time again to the apostles. I think He's teaching us as He's repeating this to the apostles. right? That this is something that here we need to teach as well. Right? This is something we need to teach ourselves. This is a message that needs to be repeated here amongst the saints. Right? This is the central message of the Christian faith. And this is the message that we declare here. That Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sin so that all who believe in Him would be saved. So that where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering to be made for sin. As by Christ Jesus, His single offering has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Right? This is what Jesus was destined for. He was destined to be an offering to the Father for your sake and mine. This now leads us then into point number two, which is that Jesus was likewise destined to suffer. So not only was He destined to be an offering, but He was destined to suffer as well. This is what we learn in verses 33 and 34. Please look with me there in your text. Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. So what's the first thing we see here? Right? Jesus, in describing his suffering that he is going to endure, he declares what? That he must be delivered over first to the chief priests. Here, Jesus is describing the betrayal of Judas. He's describing the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray Him. It was no secret to Jesus. He knew this must be performed in in order that Scripture would be fulfilled. In fact, Judas was raised up for this very reason, to be the the son of destruction, to be the, the son of perdition who was to betray Jesus and to prove God's Word true and right. Actually, if you would, brothers and sisters, turn with me in your Bibles to John. Chapter 13, as we'll look together at verses 16 to 18. John chapter 13, verses 16 to 18. John 13, 16 to 18. Hear with me then. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. I am not speaking of all of you. Right? This is what Jesus says. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. Here it is. He who ate my bread 
has lifted His heel against me. Here Jesus is quoting from Psalm 41, verse 9. This is the Scripture that must be fulfilled. And in Psalm 41, verse 9, this is what David says. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Right? So here Jesus is describing the betrayal of Judas who sat with him and ate bread with him. And so who does Jesus specifically then say, the betrayer who is Judas, who, who is he going to deliver him up to? Well, we're told the chief priests and the scribes. This is exactly how it turns out. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, we'll look at verses 1 to 4. Luke 22, verses 1 to 4, we are told this. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of twelve. He went away and did what? He conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Jesus. So we see that it is Judas who delivers up Jesus to the chief priests and the scribes. And then it's the chief priests and the scribes, we are told, who condemn Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 66, Jesus is brought before the council. And we're told that Caiaphas rips Jesus, or rips his robe. He tore Jesus' robe and he accuses Jesus of blasphemy. And he says, what is his judgment to be? And we're told the council says, death. He was to die. Just as Jesus says, the chief priests and the scribes condemn Jesus to death. And yet that is not all that Jesus describes today in our text, is it? He says it's not going to end there because He's going to be delivered up once more. And this time He's going to be delivered up to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. Now the reason that Jesus had to be delivered up to the Gentiles is because the Jews could not put someone to death. Right? Remember, the, the Jews were under still Roman rule. And so the Jews understood this. This is why they bring uh, Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate says, okay, well, take this man and, and do with him according to your own justice. And the Jews respond in John 18.31, it's not lawful for any of us to put someone to death. Right? They understood this. And so Jesus had to be put to death by the Gentiles, just as Jesus described. Now what I want us to all see is that what has been, what will be done that Jesus is describing will be done in public. And it will be done openly for people to see. Right? His suffering, His death must be public. It must be seen. It must have witnesses. Right? So that no one can say that it did not happen. No one can deny its reality to these great atrocities that take place against Him. It is before all that he must suffer this most shameful death. And I ask in reading this, right, in knowing this, in believing this, that, that this is true and that it was done for you, do you not see how far Christ humbled Himself for us? And should that not cause you in response 
to humble yourself before Almighty God. As we see the great lengths that He went to secure salvation for us, that Christ, God's only begotten Son, the innocent Lamb of God, had to suffer and die and be condemned for our sin. And do we not see, brothers and sisters, the mocking, the spitting, the scourging that Christ suffered was to be the reward for our sin? His scourging should have been our scourgings. His mocking should have been our mockings. His death should have been our death. Do each one of you not see your own misery and your sin? That this is what your sin deserved. As you hear about what took place in Jesus being condemned, I ask, do you see yourself in the condemnation of Jesus? Do you understand? Do you see the fruit of your sin? When you do, when you see that, when you understand this, how sweet then it is, isn't it? To hear those words declared by the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verse 1. For there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what Christ's work has accomplished for every one of you here who believes. And what a comfort that is. To have that assurance that your sins have been pardoned. That we are free from all condemnation because Christ was condemned for us. And this love that was shown to us, should it not cause our hearts to swell with love? And to be drawn to greater love to Christ? Because not only, brothers and sisters, are we not eternally condemned, but now, through the work of Christ, we have a blessed hope. A blessed hope for eternal life with God through the work of Christ. As Christ did not remain in the grave, but He arose and He now sits at the right hand of His Father on high. And so this leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is that Jesus was destined to rise again. Jesus was destined to to rise again. Now this is what He concludes with in verse 34. Look with me at the very last sentence in, in verse 34. What is it that Jesus says? And after three days, He will rise. The importance of the resurrection cannot be overstated. The importance of the resurrection cannot be overstated. All that Jesus describes here, right, His condemnation, His sufferings, His death, would all be for naught had He not risen from the grave. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 to 19. Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
then those who have perished in Christ remain perished. But here is the good news, brothers and sisters, that Paul says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ told the apostles what must take place. He told them what must be accomplished. And one of the things that He promised is that He would be raised from the dead. And He would rise for this is what He was destined to do as it was accomplished by the power of God. Right? That He would be raised so that we too would be raised with Christ as He is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead. This is exactly the message Paul declares, isn't it? Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul declares the message of the Gospel, what does he say? He says that on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. That He appeared to Peter. Then He appeared to the other apostles. Then He appeared to over 500. Many of whom were still living, Paul says, at that time. Right? I want us to see that just as Jesus' suffering and death was public and open for all to see, so too was His resurrection. So that there would be those who would witness it and who would testify and bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? That He was risen from the grave. Right? This is why we have the Scripture today. It tells us this. Right? John in his Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, tells us this. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life in His name. This then is the Christian's hope. That there will be a resurrection, a general resurrection of both the, the just and the unjust. Right? That we will be raised And so although we may fall asleep, as many have already done before Christ returns, we have the assurance that He will return. And when the trumpet sounds, we will be raised into the clouds with the Lord. And there, body and soul will reunite once again. And we will have those new glorified bodies. And we will be with the Lord forever. You see, death could not hold Christ down. The grave was not victorious over our Lord. But rather, Christ conquered death. He triumphed over the grave so that you and I too will triumph over death in the grave because Christ has. And we are in Christ. This is why we can say, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Death has lost its sting. Christ has taken it away. Death for us should not be something that we fear. Death should be something we embrace. Death should be something that's sweet to the believer. It's something we ought to look forward to. Because Christ was raised from the dead. And now He sits enthroned in glory. Christ's sufferings and His risings were glorious for Himself. And it is this glorious and risen Lord whom now Saints are willing to, to suffer for in return, aren't they? All right, we're told this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says this, Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel, for which I am suffering. And so I ask all of you here today, if 
or sense, Christ died and rose for us. Shouldn't it be a small thing for us today to live for Him? If Christ died and rose for us, shouldn't it be a small thing for us now to live for Him? That just as Jesus marched toward His death willingly for our sake, should not we follow now in our Savior's footsteps as as good and faithful soldiers? Is this not what a, a good soldier does when their commander runs into battle? They don't retreat, but they follow behind them faithfully. And so just as Christ worked or walked steadily to the cross, right, being assailed by His enemies, suffering all these troubles, should not we today walk through steadily all of our crosses today, all of the troubles that might assail us for the sake of Christ? Should we not be ready to face betrayal of friends as Christ did? Should we not be ready to face betrayal of even family members? Should we not be ready to suffer violence at the hands of men, whether verbally or physically? Should we not ready ourselves to be despised and belittled and mocked and shamed? And yet we ought to be ready to do it openly before all. Remember, brothers and sisters, as we said, this was Christ's destiny to be an offering, to suffer, and to rise again. He was not going to allow anything to push Him off His path. But He was going to press forward until the end to obedience to His Father. Well, know this. Suffering, too, is our destiny. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. He tells them, you are destined to suffer. Paul tells the church in Philippi, not only was it granted to you to believe in Christ, but to suffer for His sake. Brothers and sisters, just like Christ suffered before He entered into glory, do not think you will gain glory any other way. You will suffer before you enter into glory. And so let us press forward to our destiny in obedience to our Heavenly Father, following after the footsteps of our Savior. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, how blessed are we, Your people, to have Your Word, to be given Your Spirit of illumination to understand Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the many blessings we have in Christ. We thank You, Father, for Christ Himself being that once and for all sacrifice for suffering and dying for us. And yet, Father, we thank You that He rose again likewise for us and for His own glory. We ask, Father, that You would impress this message upon our minds and our hearts this day and that throughout this next week and for the rest of our lives, we would be resolved to walk after the footsteps of our Savior. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.